Good morning. There is much on my heart that I would like to share with you this morning. I will not share all of it. But as I've considered where to go this, um, this Sunday, and considered all that I wanted to share, felt like Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 did a pretty good job of summing it all up. It is a letter, or it's a prayer in a letter, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Now kids, let me have your attention, okay? Something I want you to listen for. This is a prayer in Scripture, and we're going to talk about this prayer. And as I talk about this prayer, this is what I want you to, to listen for and, and talk to your parents about over lunch, okay? What's the difference between knowing about the love of Jesus and knowing the love of Jesus? What's the difference between knowing about the love of Jesus and knowing the love of Jesus? We're going to listen for that as we read and explore God's Word. Before we do so, let's turn together in prayer. Would you bow with me? Oh, Father God, this is your Word, and it is your Word for your people. And so I pray that your voice would be the voice that is heard today. Pray that I would decrease. And pray that Jesus would increase. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dear friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We, as a church, believe in prayer. But why do we pray for others? I thought about that question this week as I prepared to preach a prayer. And as I thought about it, I think that 
we pray for others because we find ourselves at the intersection of a deep longing for others and the realization that it is only by God's power that that longing is brought to fruition. Paul has a longing for the Ephesian church, a church that that he himself has planted. He longs for them to experience the love of God through the powerful, personal presence of Jesus Christ. He longs for it because he has experienced it himself. There is a powerful testimony that he gives in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 12 through 15, Paul writes there to Timothy as Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. He says, I thank him who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I get it. Maybe you get it too. This week I have um, I've taken a bit of a journey. <laughs> the Lord has led me down memory lane. And it's not just been memory lane through the years here at Christ Church. It's been uh, the memories of the personal journey the Lord has been leading me through over so many years to come to know Him savingly and then in the fullness of time to to point me to this service, and as I've walked through that, that personal journey this week, I have been overwhelmed by, by His grace and His mercy and His love, and have been reminded afresh that it is all Jesus, all Jesus, every bit of it, but as I've spent time in this text this week, it has been a reminder that I am not now nor ever will be past the need for the love of Jesus Christ, and neither will you. So we come to this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians with the realization that Paul is also praying that prayer for me, and he's praying it for you. And so we look there now. He opens in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Bowing his knees, it's a a position of prayer, but but in that position, Paul's making a, a declaration of humble adoration. He's humbling himself for the Lord, but he's adoring the Father. In doing so, he's... He's bringing this longing to him. But, but he says there for this reason. What is this reason? One of the things I love about 
the Apostle Paul in his writing, which is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes Paul gets caught up in praise. And so what you see is at the beginning of chapter 3, he also starts out, for this reason I, and then, and then Paul does like he often does. He, he gets caught off his thought because he's just, he's just taken up with praise. He's taken up with the, the wonder of the mystery of the gospel. But if we're to consider for this reason in verse 14, we've got to go back to verse 1 and understand that for this reason, therefore, is, is looking to chapter 2 and what Paul has been writing about in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, oh, we have one of the most beautiful, succinct summaries of the gospel that you will find in all of Scripture where we are reminded that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, of His great mercy has, and by His grace has caused us to be alive together with Christ. And, and then in, in chapter 2, after giving us that beautiful summary of the gospel, He tells us the implications of the gospel in terms of our calling into the church. That the gospel is building up the church that consists of both Jew and Gentile. And then he concludes that thought in chapter 2, verse 22. In him, that is in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's the foundation of the prayer that he prays for us. At the end of chapter Three, but it's also a reminder that God, our Father, the, the Father whom Paul is humbly adoring, He is the master builder. He is all wise. He is all knowing and He is all powerful. And so Paul is praying here at the end of chapter 3 that the Father would do what He has already said He is doing. Redeeming. Indwelling transforming, blessing Jew and Gentile alike into one new people who are the family of God, His dwelling place. That's the prayer. And it's a prayer for believers individually and for the church collectively. A prayer, once again, for the powerful, personal presence of Jesus Christ. He said it. He is writing to the church. And so I believe that as he is praying this, his focus is not on that initial indwelling, though it's there, it's part of the focus. But more than that initial presence, I believe he's praying for the continual presence. Christ. Again, it's a reminder that Christians never get past the need for the gospel. We never get past the need for the presence of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we share testimonies. And those testimonies from time to time will often sound like a church attendance record, a, a church resume. While that is important, we must remember that the church is not a civic organization. It is a body. It is united to Jesus and united 
by Jesus to one another so that we are caught up in a common love affair with Jesus. Because we are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit, Paul prays that Christ Jesus would dwell in our hearts through faith so that we would be rooted and grounded in love. And so my prayer for Christ Church today, my prayer for you, is that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Brothers and sisters, be rooted and grounded in love. The love of Jesus and the love that we express for one another. That rooting and that grounding, it's not in our education level. It's not in the beauty of our building. It's not in the finery of our, of our Sunday morning wardrobe. None of that matters in the economy of God. Our rooting, our grounding as individuals and as a collective body is in the love of Jesus Christ. But that's only the first petition of this prayer. Paul goes on to offer a second. Verse 18 and the first half of verse 19. He prays there that we, that you, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Again, Paul's writing to the church. And as he writes to the church, he's making an assumption. He's assuming that his readers, his listeners, are in Christ already. But he's also making another assumption by virtue of the prayer, by virtue of his writing, that, that those same believers who are already in Christ are, are at the same time not adequately appreciating and experiencing or appropriating the love of Christ. And so he prays that they would both know about the love of Christ and know the love of Christ. There's two aspects of this petition, and they're both important, and I want to explore both of them. First, he talks about comprehending or knowing about the love of Jesus. What does this mean? Well, when a child describes their love, what do they do? They use the, the highest unit of measurement that they know. So, for example, if you were to ask a child how much they love ice cream, that child is going to say, I love ice cream this much, eight. Because eight is the highest number that they can count to. And so as they describe their love, that is the value that they assign. Well, Paul, in verse 18, prays that we'd have the strength to comprehend. Now, to comprehend means to grasp, to understand. It also implies 
that that grasping, that understanding is going to require some effort. And so he speaks of strength, understanding that understanding the love of Jesus is it's going to stretch us a bit. Now, notice Paul here. He speaks to the dimensions of Jesus' love, the breadth and length and height and depth, but he does not assign a value. Jesus does not love us eight. The dimensions of Jesus' love for you. For you. They're immeasurable. But it's more than just the size of His love for us. It's the basis. Why, why do we have such a hard time understanding, comprehending His love for us? Well, for many of us, the, the love of God that I'm describing, the love of God that, that we read about in Ephesians 2, it just seems too good to be true. Like Paul, many of us understand that we are chief among sinners. As we consider that reality, oftentimes we can be flooded with the images of our, of our transgressions. Past and present, we, we know the darkness of our own hearts. And at the same time, we're, we're so often taught in this world that, that in order to be loved, we must be lovable. That math don't work. We know what's inside of us. We know we don't measure up. No one loves like that. So none of it makes sense. And in order to guard our hearts, oftentimes we just settle for something less. Now, ironically, that settling for less can, can send us to one of two directions. One is that, that God is a transactional God, and therefore we must up our game to be worthy of His love. Or settling for something less is just kicking God to the side, and I can't measure up, so I'm going to go find love somewhere else. It's rooted in the same problem, a lack of understanding of the love of God. Paul gets it. We've heard him from 1 Timothy 1, and so here he prays for the strength to comprehend. But, but is strength merely a matter of, of effort and power? And sometimes we describe someone who is who's very smart. Is having a little extra horsepower to do those computations. Is that what we need? A little extra horsepower? The problem is sometimes even when we can do the math, we may not understand what's really going on in the first place. Last week we were in Auburn to celebrate Blair's graduation, and, and while we were there, Pierce and I went on a, on a walk around campus, and we had some extra time, and so we, we went in some of those places of campus that you don't often see on a, on a football Saturday. And We turned one corner, and, and I looked up, and there was the chemistry building. 
I about broke you out into a cold sweat. Remembering my organic chemistry class in that very building 30 years ago. Struggled and worked to memorize untold numbers of formulas of varying combinations of carbons and hydrogens. I gave it every bit of horsepower that I could muster and somehow I came out of that class with an A. Problem was a week later, it was all gone. You see, I did the work to memorize so that I could answer a question on a test. I expended all of that horsepower, but I didn't focus on how those facts applied to my life. They weren't personal. So in the blink of an eye, they were gone. Paul prays that we would know about the love of Jesus in its immeasurable dimensions, in its unfathomable basis. He prays for a supernatural strength to know about the love of Jesus. But he's not merely praying for strength to know about the love of Jesus. He's praying that we would know the love of Jesus. Kids, I asked you the difference between knowing about the love of Jesus and knowing the love of Jesus. I've spoken of comprehending. Comprehending or knowing about the love of Jesus and knowing the love of Jesus are two different things. Both are important, but they are different. Comprehending or knowing about it speaks to our understanding the greatness of His love and, kids get this, and that He loves people in general. But knowing the love of Jesus is about experiencing His love for me personally. It's why so often when, when I do those, those communicant classes with you kids and I, and I hear you say, well, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. I say, yes, but it's not just that he died to forgive us. He died to forgive me. He died to forgive you. Me. Me. Knowing his love speaks to a personal, relational involvement with Jesus. It is the intimacy that exists between husband and wife. Maybe that's why we get stuck in spiritual emptiness and and dryness. Because we know about the love of Jesus, at least in concept, but we struggle to truly know Him experientially, of His intimate, personal love for me. For you, Jesus' love, it is a love that is exceedingly great, exceedingly personal, and it is for you. It is a love that surpasses knowledge. Brothers and sisters, the finite mind, the finite heart, it cannot fully grasp this infinite love. And so how do we know the unknowable? We receive it. We rest in it. 
This ultimately is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. This ultimately is my prayer for Christ's church. From there, at the point of simply receiving the love of Jesus like a child, there, at that point, the love of Jesus will begin to shape us, begin to transform us. Comprehending the love of Jesus is about appreciating His love, then knowing the love of Jesus is about appropriating it. It is about living out of it. You know, preaching is is more than just reading. It's more than just teaching. Preaching is about making some exhortation, making some application. There's usually a to-do in a text, but this is a prayer. There's not an explicit do in this passage, except perhaps maybe to to have your prayers shaped by the prayers of Scripture. Do have your prayers shaped by the prayers of Scripture. But I think more fundamentally, the application out of this text, the application that I offer to you today, the exhortation I make to you today is to receive the love of Jesus for you personally. To receive it and rest in it. It is a love that, humanly speaking, makes no sense whatsoever. Because for us, when someone wrongs us, we are tempted to cast them aside. But God the Son, He did the opposite. He took your sins upon Himself on the cross, that He might reconcile you to God the Father, all because God triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has loved you from before the beginning of time, before the foundation of the earth. This is a salvation, a love that is yours by grace alone, through faith alone. And so grasp it in faith, receive it and rest in it, and let it shape, you and let it propel you outward. And so verse 19 summarizes all of those petitions in this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ultimately, this is a prayer for union in Christ. That's the theme of Paul's writing throughout the New Testament. It is certainly the theme of his letter to the Ephesians. The fullness and power of God would be at work in the lives of believers individually and the church collectively so that we might experientially know the love of Jesus and bring glory to God through lives that are increasingly shaped by Jesus. That happens individually, but it happens collectively. So so earlier in chapter 3 and in verse 10, Paul writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom, he's speaking of the mystery of the gospel, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's saying, again, building on chapter 2, that when Jew and Gentile, diverse peoples, begin to grasp and live out of the love of God, of Jesus, that 
that teaches the spiritual realm, the angels, something about the love of God. Now, if that is true, that when the church begins to grasp, begins to comprehend, begins to know the love of Jesus and begins to appropriate, appropriate that love in our love for one another in the world around us, if that teaches the angelic realm something about the love of God, think about what that will teach our own community. A diverse group of people resting in and living out of the matchless love of Jesus. Oh, how glorious. That is a longing worth bringing to our God and Father that we might be blessed and He might be glorified. This prayer is a big, bold ask. But if we are to ask big, bold things, we need to have some confidence that we'll receive it. This week, one morning, I was listening to, to Jock Sports Radio. It's one of the simple pleasures that I'm going to miss about Birmingham. And there, I was listening to Cole Kubelik, and, and he posed a question to the listeners. And, and the question was this, what was the, what was the biggest Christmas present you ever asked for as a child that you knew you wouldn't get? People called in and offered their thoughts, and then Cole finally shared what was the biggest Christmas present that he ever asked for that he knew he would not get. It was for a giant G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. Now, that's a glorious gift. And he asked for it multiple years with zero confidence that he would ever receive it. And he, and he explained why he knew he wouldn't receive it because the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier was four feet long. And he knew it wouldn't fit in his room. You hear what he's saying? His dimensions were just too big. He had no confidence, but he asked anyway. You see at the end of this prayer, however, Paul makes clear that he is making a big, bold ask. And he also states very clearly his confidence in asking. And in that confidence, he describes the power that he is unleashing through the prayer, a prayer I echo now. You see, my prayer for Christ church would is that this church would be so shaped by the love of Jesus that the world around us would see the glory of God and that the generations to come would be blessed by the immeasurable love of Jesus Christ. Beware. Beware when your prayers are shaped by the prayers of Scripture. You begin praying prayers that are not safe. Because being filled with the fullness of God and His great love, it will not leave you unchanged. With this prayer comes the power of God, and through this prayer comes the glory of God. The last two verses in this prayer, they capture it all. They capture the abundance of God's power. They capture the abundance of His love. 
and the abundance of His glory, the glory that He will bring to Himself through us as individuals and through us as a church when we pray this prayer. They are blessing, they are exclamation point, and they are praise. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, You are, You make no sense to us, Lord Jesus. And we praise You for that. Because your love is beyond anything that we can grasp in our own power. And so would you fill us with the fullness of your being through your spirit that we might not only know about your love, but that we might know your love and that we might be transformed more and more into your image. It is in your name we pray. Amen.